I am so grateful to be here with you today. Um, I do believe that there is a word from the Lord, and um, I have been getting dealt with um, about it for some time, and so now I want to give it back to you, amen, because it's been tearing me up. Uh, my title of the message today is something that made me a little uncomfortable um, because the content is uncomfortable, but I know that God did not send his son to die on a cross for me to be comfortable, and that deeply ingrained in my spiritual DNA is the ability to handle the discomfort. I want to talk to you today from the subject, when God confuses you. When God confuses you. Now, I know about six people right here who have grown up only reading the King James Version are like, she don't know what she's talking about. God is not the author of confusion. I know in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says in the King James Version of the Bible, for God is not the author of confusion, but peace as in, in all churches and in, in of all the saints. That's what it says in the King James Version of the Bible. In the New Living Translation of the Bible, that same scripture says, for God is not the author of disorder, but of peace in all meetings of God's holy people. That verse is addressing, it's in the, inside of a larger passage where God is addressing the people of God. I mean, Paul is addressing the people of God in regards to order in the church. I know that passage very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because it's also the passage that talks about women being silent and not preaching. Or some, some preachers have interpreted it that way. I'm not talking about that. I'm not here to give a feminist philosophical uh, commentary on women in ministry, but we've been tearing up the church since the beginning of time. Hello, somebody. I'm talking today about situations that we find ourselves in that are unexplainable. I'm talking about situations that leave us baffled, befuddled, discombobulated, perplexed, almost like when uh, Michael said, you know, when, you, when, when God led the man of God to the brook and the brook dries up. No real explanation for it. I don't know about you, but there have been some situations in my life that I know that I was in the center of God's will. I know that I was doing exactly what God called me to do. And unbeknownst to me, situations and circumstances began to change, and I am perplexed, bamboozled, discombobulated. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to join me in the book of Judges. We're going to be reading through two chapters today. I won't be reading the entire two chapters, but I'd like for you, I'd like to draw your attention before we actually get into more around this idea of when God confuses you. I want us to look at um, uh, Judges chapter 6, and then we'll spend some time in Judges chapter 7. That's where we'll spend the bulk of our time. I'll invite you, if you have your word, to open it and leave it open, because we're going to be picking through and combing through the word. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to read verses in chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, and then I'll skip down. If you have it, say amen. If you need some more time, say hold up. Judges chapter 6. Let's pray before we read the word. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is always clarity when we sense confusion. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, and then I'll skip down to Judges chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength 
you have. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Skip down to Judges chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. So Jerubabal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harad. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morat. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. And you know what? I'm going to keep on reading. We at church, that's all right. That's what your pastor's wife said. We at church, that's all right. You following me? It's quiet in here. We all right? You know, black people are loud, so I'm used to a little bit more volume. Are we all right in here? Okay, cool. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all who kneel down and drink with the stream, with their mouths in the stream. Verse 6, only 300 of the, of, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and rams of horns of the, of the warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 with him. So he got their stuff, but he sent them home. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Verse 10. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pirah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged when you, when you, then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Parah, went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, of Midian Amalek, and the other pe people east of the east that had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like the grains of the sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the, to the Midianite camp. I hit a tent. It hit a tent, turned it over, knocked it flat. Verse 14. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over the Midianites and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a, a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Then he said to them, verse 17, keep your, oh, I'm sorry, verse 19. It was just after midnight after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the, and, a hundred man, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew ram's horns, ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all the three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood and took his position, say, take his position, 
around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 when the, the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Blethshaita and Zerarah and to the border of El Mehola near Tabath. Then Gideon sent for his warriors near Nephtali, Asher, and Manasseh, who, were joined, who joined in chasing the army of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down and attack the Midianites. Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan near Beth Barah. So the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress at Zeb. And they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterwards, the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon who was by the Jordan River. May the Lord add a blessing to the long reading and hearing of his holy word. I'm still talking about when God confuses you. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines confusion as a situation in which people are uncertain about what to do or are unable to understand something clearly. The feeling that you have when you do not understand what is happening or what is expected confusion, a state, of, a state or situation in which many things are happening in a way that is not controlled, a state or situation in which many things are out of control, and I would add usually out of your control and usually not favorable. Confusion is a human experience that we have all had to reckon with at some point in our lives. Confusion is typically a negative experience because it, it produces anxiety and fear, sometimes frustration, and oftentimes disillusionment, depending on the circumstance. Have you ever been in the will of God, obedient, discerning, wise, and stuff still just doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Things still just don't go the way you think they should go. I've been in pastoral ministry now. I'll be celebrating my 17th year in ministry this month. And I have, particularly my ministry really revolves around counseling. That's where the Lord has really developed my ministry. And so I oftentimes perceive pastoral situations from the vantage point of a counselor. And when you sit with God's people, you sit with families, when you're privileged as a pastor to come alongside families, you hear some things that will blow your mind. Now, church folk can work your last nerve. But every now and again, pastoral ministry can break your heart because you end up with families and people that have come into your care and you have no explanation, you have no quick, quick Christianism, you have no quick one verse scripture that you can offer them because even you, as you sit alongside of them as the leader, are confused. I had a couple that I worked with for uh, a couple of years, actually the man, uh, this was a couple, so the, the, the man, um, the husband, uh, was in my Bible study for several years. He was very, very faithful, committed, you know, just a, a godly man. When he introduced me to this woman that he was to marry, I was so excited for him because I know that he had been faithful and I know he had been waiting on God. He had been divorced and God had really healed his heart and he met this wonderful woman who loves the Lord, full of the Holy Ghost, wise, you know, just a righteous woman. They, they, they waited on God, they dated honorably, for four years, they dated honorably. Four years before they stood before God at the altar and before their communities to say that they wanted to marry and unite as husband and wife. Four years. Six weeks later, one of them was hospitalized for a mental breakdown that was so violent that the other one said they, had, they didn't even have a clue that that could even be inside of them. 
and I spoke to it, I was confused. Lord, four years and six weeks after an anointed ceremony and an enchanted honeymoon, literally one of them lost their mind and was hospitalized for 30 days behind a mental breakdown. Another example, a couple that I knew in ministry, we served together. One was the youth pastor, the other was a children's uh, ministry director. They have given their lives to serving the church. They have been personally responsible for the spiritual development of children as young as one and as old as 15 and beyond, and they could not conceive their own baby. Confused. Graduates who have come into our congregation after, you know, going to school and they've been, uh, you know, interns year after year and graduate with honors from prestigious schools and can't get a job. Bills stacking up. Debt from college increasing with interest. Confused. Single. Woman was single, waited on God had a baby as a teenager, waited on the Lord, met her husband, her soon-to-be husband, dated honorably, did all the counseling. One week before their wedding, he dies in a fishing accident. Confused. You've been a faithful spouse. Honored your household. Served as the priest served as the helpmate, and the marriage still failed, confused. Sometimes it's not our righteousness that wins us a sufferless life. Because even in the midst of obedience, and I know that there are sometimes that sin patterns will leave us vulnerable to certain attacks. But I'm not talking about stuff that can be explained by disobedience or the Lord's retribution for us being outside of his will. I'm talking about steadfast faithfulness. You minding your own business. And all of a sudden, life shows up and challenges your theology. The thing about this passage in Gideon, or in, in Judges, I'm talking about Gideon in Judges, is that the Israelites had been disobedient. We're at a space and time in our spiritual history at this point of the Judges, the era of the Judges, where the Mosaic leadership or the leadership of Moses then that was dupl duplicated in that of his servant Joshua, Joshua has died. So that mosaic pattern of leadership, where it was a theocracy, where God was the one who was leading the man of God, and the man of God led the nation of God. Now we're in a season where th that, that pattern of leadership has, 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 has gone on. It's died with Joshua. And what we learn about the Israelites is that they would go through these seasons of obedience and disobedience. They would be in God's favor and God would be leading them. He would raise up a judge to govern the nation and then there would be tribal leadership, but he would, he would raise up a judge that was, that was responsible for leading the nation and, and that judge typically was one that had military skill and judicial authority. And at one point, it says in, in Judges chapter 6 that the people had done wrong in the eyes of the Lord, and he gave them over to the hand of the Midianites for seven years, okay? So these are the people that, that Gideon, who, as he states in chapter 6, who, Gideon is of the tribe of Manasseh. So of, among the 12 tribes, he's of the smallest one. And among the tribe, his clan, is, uh, his family is, is the least of the clan, and he's the least in his family. So Gideon was a weenie. Somebody say Gideon was a weenie. Gideon was a weenie, and God chose a weenie from the least clan in the least tribe and the least of his family to raise up and be the deliverer of an enemy that had been oppressing them for seven years. Now, you got to get this because seven years is a long time to be oppressed, okay? Seven years, I, I, I mean, you know, a, a habit can develop in seven days, 
So you're talking about people at seven years who have grown accustomed to defeat. Okay? You're not talking about faint at heart. You done gone through some things. We're talking about seven years, a life cycle, okay, of defeat. And God has called the weenie to deliver the entire nation from their enemy. But let me just clarify the difference between an enemy and an oppressor. Because an enemy can just not be for you, right? You look in the text and you see pretty much if you were, against, if you were not an Israelite, you were against them, right? There's a difference between the enemy versus the oppressor. The Bible describes the Midianites as being ruthless, having a harsh hand against them that terrorized them, that would wake up and, and shout and chant how defeated they were, who, who would proposition themselves to let them know that they were bigger, badder, and in control. They were the reminder that they were out of God's favor. They were the reminder that God did not have the kind of protective sovereignty as he had in times before. So God has called this small guy, unassuming, down somewhere in a wine press. The Bible says that in this season of the, of the judges, in this period of their history, they used to hide in caves. We see that Gideon is pressing wine inside. I mean, he, he, he's threshing wheat inside of a wine press. So you're just outside of where you're even supposed to be. You're so defeated. You're so accustomed to this lifestyle of oppression that you don't even show yourself in the valley because the Midianites are thugs. They are ruthless and they are hard. And God called the weenie to lead the people and to demonstrate leadership over that manner of hurt. So what you see in this circumstance, first, after God called Gideon and Gideon said yes, because there's a lot of us that's been called, but not everybody says yes. Gideon said yes. Then God says, it's too many of y'all. So you're of the smallest clan, and the Midianites outnumbered the Israelites, so it was the fight was already unfair and fixed anyway. That's why Gideon wanted so much proof and confirmation that it was the Lord that was speaking to him. He was wired for that need for confirmation. I said he was a weenie anyway. But there's nothing wrong with requiring confirmation when God tells you to do impossible things. God is okay with that. He didn't remove the call because Gideon wanted a little bit more assurance. You know how sometimes people are just so full of faith and they just got so much faith. They got faith of Job and they just don't need, they don't have no questions. God says something and they say yes. Well, let me tell you something. It is not always like that. Every now and again, God will call you to do something that is so out of the realm of your awareness. It's so out of the realm of your experience. It's so out of the realm of what you think is possible that you need a confirmation or two. And so, all, so, so Gideon says yes, even in the midst of that, he, God sent the confirmation. Then he tells him, it's, it's too many of y'all. If they're afraid, then tell them they got to go home. So tell your army who's been oppressed by this enemy for seven years that if they feel afraid of being outnumbered, at this point, some scholars say that the outnumbering of the Midianites to the Israelites at this point in the text is about five to one. So there's some estimates that there's about 130,000 Midianites, and the Israelites are only starting out with 32,000. How many of you know the fight was already, it was already a job for El Shaddai? So he says, you got 32,000. Now, if you're scared, go home. 22,000 of them went home. Somebody say the reduction. The reduction. So they go home, 22,000. Now he's left with 10,000. Then the Lord says, go down to the spring and separate them by whoever licks the water with the tongue, goes down to the water with the mouth. That's how you separate who's going to be with you and who's not. 300 of them stayed with him. You've got 130,000. The fight is already impossible. 
And God says, just so you don't try to take the credit for yourselves. Because God knows who he created. He knows our human tendencies every now and again to take way more credit for the things that happen in our lives. And every now and again, God will engineer a situation and a circumstance where it is only by his power, that it is only by his presence, that it is only by his provision that we will see the manifestation of that which he already said in the first place. So you take them 300, and I'm not talking about them 300 like them fine brothers in that movie 300. (laughs) Yes, Lord, with the little loincloths and abs. Y'all seen the movie 300? Yes, Lord. We're not talking about that. He He didn't say, go take the strongest. He didn't say, go take the ones with the most authority spiritually. He didn't say, go pick the ones that you perceive are the ones that need to go with you. You take the ones that I pick. The Lord orchestrated a reduction. Somebody say a reduction. You know, God's arithmetic isn't like our arithmetic. We think A plus B equals C. We think one plus two equals three. Our arithmetic is very linear. But God almost always subtracts before he adds. God almost always divides before he multiplies. So we see here a reduction taking place. I don't know about you, but there have been some times in my life when I thought I was really postured for addition and all I experienced was loss. There was a season in my life between the ages of 18 and 25, seven years, where I lost my grandfather, my father, two nephews, babies, infants. One lived a month, the other lived for two months. My maternal grandfather, my paternal grandfather, my auntie. I mean, I'm talking vital relationships, not my play cousin. Okay, not my play cousin. And I got some real close play cousins. But I'm talking about just lost, just gone, 11 months of unemployment, so broke. I remember that year when I went to the tax man, I was like, "Um, this is really it, like this is really it. It was impossible, it didn't make any sense that I was even able to, to, to live on what I had. God snatched all this stuff away before the salary and the, and the benefits came. God oftentimes will subtract before he adds. Sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's just people in your life. You know, sometimes we got to drop off some dead weight, okay? Sometimes there are some relationships that we hold on to just out of being loyal, and sometimes what we think is a strong conviction for being a believer, and God will remove those relationships. But I'm not even talking about the obvious ones. I'm talking about the ones that you don't even understand why God took them away a reduction in your life that doesn't have a real clear explanation. Confusion. I lost my best friend. I mean, my best friend, my best friend, my closest, my other closest relationship is my God sister. So I don't really consider her a friend, but this was my closest friend who knew everything about me, walked with me through a lot of issues. Her children are my God children. We were family. We shared life and we shared ministry together. And one day out of the blue, no explanation, she just stopped calling. Just stop calling. I didn't do nothing to that child. And she just stopped calling. <laughs> the reduction. Sometimes we're in situations and reductions can confuse us. But look what God did. He said, if the people are afraid, send them on. 22,000 of them left. Then he said, after the, the other 10,000 left, and he was left with the three, 300, he said, uh, will you uh, go out? I will be with you, Gideon. Go out against the hand of the Midianites. But if you're afraid, I got a word for you. Somebody say revelation. 
The Lord sent Gideon down, gave him instruction. He didn't tell him exactly where to go. He just told him to go, you know, to, to get up and go down to the camp with his servant Purah. So when he went down with Purah, they go down and they hear their enemies talking. And the enemies confirm through the interpretation of a dream that they were going to defeat them. Not only defeat the Midianites, but that, the, that, that all the other allies around them were going to be a part of the defeat. You know, the Lord is faithful to give us discernment and to speak words of revelation in situations. They're not always clear. They're not always crystal clear. But that's why it's so, it's so, it's so important for us to practice the presence of God. We have to practice the presence of God. We have to practice what it means to be discerning. Sometimes we have to lay down our plate and have some fasted prayer time so that we can be deliberate about being able to perceive and allowing the Lord to reveal that which he has for us to know. Sometimes we need revelation because there's things that he's trying to speak to us. There's, there's situations that he's trying to clear up for us, and we don't have a real clear sense of how it's going to come to pass. I love that God did not rebuke Gideon for needing a little more clarity. And that's a help for somebody today because you've been feeling guilty as though your faith was on an empty tank. That's all right, baby. God can, he can cover those areas where you struggle and those areas where you need a little more confirmation of what he's doing in your life. Because one thing I know about God is if you are marked, when you are marked, it is irrevocable. So I don't care if it takes you five days or five years or, five, or 50 years. God will have God's way. What God said he's going to do in your life is going to come to pass. It is, there's nothing that you can do about it because you are marked. And he didn't forget about you. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't get it wrong the first time. We get it wrong because we struggle. And if the confusion is too perplexing then we can end up getting ourselves in trouble because we struggle along the journey. But let me keep going. We've talked about the reduction. We've talked about the revelation. Now let's talk about the route. Somebody say route. The route. So after, after the Lord um, gives Gideon a word through his enemy, see, if I was, let me tell you something, if I was at a black church, we'd be hollering right now. <laughs> because sometimes your revelation of your victory will come through your hater. So after the Lord gave this word of revelation of the dream to Gideon through his enemy, he then marks out a path for them. Let me draw your attention. Let me draw your attention to verse, verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the, the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Doesn't say that God told them to take up their swords. There is no mention of weaponry in the sense that we understand weaponry. No swords, no spears, no javelins, no, like, no, nothing that looks like a physical, um, an, an instrument of physical bodily injury or harm. He told him to take up some instruments and go shout. Yeah. Hello, somebody. I'm preaching better than you talking today. Because somebody is looking for a weapon that God never gave you to fight with in the first place. All he said was to get up and take what he gave you and use it to shout. The greatest weapon that we have against our enemy is our praise. The greatest weapon that we have against our enemy is our shout. The greatest weapon that we have against our enemies is what comes out of our mouth. And what comes out of our mouth is what we have sown in our heart. And what we need to sow in our heart is the word of God. Because that's what has the power to bind and cripple and face the enemy that is God, God is putting in your life. 
I'm telling you, when God has confused you and you are perplexed and bamboozled, you look that enemy in the face and you tell them that you are the righteousness of God. You tell them you are above only and never believe. You tell them that God is the most high God, not some high God. You tell them that the God you serve is almighty, not somebody. You tell him that the Lord your God is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God, your peace. You speak what's in the word and you shout what has been sowed in it. You fighting with weapons that God never gave you in the first place. You're trying to use bitterness and deceit and manipulation and social media and all kind of other things. And Lord have mercy, Jesus, what's going on in this world as we see all this violence and guns and wars. And I believe in sometimes we have to be righteously indignant. But God has told the people of God to shout. Oh my God, what would happen if we just opened up our mouths and just shouted unto him with a voice of triumph. You take your little, your, you, you, you take your weenie self. <laughs> and the few people that you have left in your arsenal after God has reduced you from all the other scared people. Because sometimes when you're going through something, you don't need nobody else scared or afraid that's in your life. You need to have some people that's bold like you. And to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He said... Get up, go down, take these, take these jars, take these little ram's horns and shout. One for the Lord, one for Gideon. And that's what they did. And what the Bible says is that they got turned around and the enemy started to turn on themselves and they defeated themselves. They didn't even have to do nothing. And that's what I'm trying to say. How many times have we seen in scripture where the Lord commissioned his people to speak his victory over a situation, to shout with worship, not for what he's done, but for who he is. And in the meantime, somebody say the meantime. In the meantime, the Lord is the one setting up the ambushes and you didn't even have to fight at all in the first place. There's a route that God has for each and every one of us. How, how, many, how many of you um, use uh, the Waze app? Waze, W-A-Z-E. It's, a, it's an app that I like to use on my iPhone primarily because um, the map that you have, like on the, on the iPhone app, it's uh, the map that's on there. Sometimes it'll, it'll take you a straight route, but it's not necessarily the quickest route. And Waze will create alternative routes for you to take um, in order to meet your destination. So sometimes there have been times where I was using Waze and I had to hop off the freeway and go around, but there was no traffic that way. It was a smoother route. It was a longer route, but it was a smoother route. Now, the one thing I don't like about the app is that it, because it's real time, it doesn't really list out what you're going to do. So you just have to listen for the instruction and you have to perceive when you look on the map as it is guiding you to see where your next step is. And somebody in here, you're a lot like me. You'd like to see the list of what you'd like to see the trajectory. You want to see exactly what God is going to show you to do. And God hasn't done that yet. And, and you get a little frustrated because now your ears have to be attentive to the next step that God has for you. Let me make it a little bit plain. When the Lord called me into ministry, I, 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 you know, he gave me this information on a very need to know basis. Because the truth of the matter is, if the Lord told me at the age of 20, well, I'm going to go ahead and call you to preach, and then you're going to get licensed to preach at 20, and then you're going to graduate at 21, and then I want you to do this. If he had told me that I was going to have to be raped at the age of 25 and then have to go through depression and PTSD and clinical-grade um, you know, emotional distress before I was able to be restored and healed, and then if the Lord told me that I was going to have to go through all that before he actually turned it around, then, then I probably would not have taken that route. I can guarantee that I wouldn't have taken that route. But every route, there is a path to redemption. And that's my last R. 
And since I'm talking about myself for a little bit, is it okay if I just share a little bit of my testimony? So when I got called, this was out of the blue because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know nothing about you. My parents were black Hebrew Israelites, okay? We was hippies, <laughs> eating falafel, okay? Celebrating Yom Kippur, didn't know nothing about Christmas or Easter, okay? I got saved. I had an auntie that used to pick me up and take me to church with her, and I just loved going to church, and I believed, and I didn't know that I was having a theological conversion experience. I just knew that I believed what the preacher said. And before I knew it, I got saved, and I was hungry, and I loved it. And I've always had an ex a, a real um, compassion and sensitivity for folks that did not grow up with church experience, that just came to know Jesus as adults. And, you know, I really felt like this call came out of the blue. And I was like, Lord, you're going to have to confirm it. I went on a fast for about three or four days. I had eggs and bread, eggs, bread, and water. And I'm like, Lord, if this is what you're going to, if this is what you're calling me to do, let me have this hard-boiled egg and some water, okay? And you confirm it for me, and he confirmed it over and over again. And, and, and I started ministering at this church, and I had given my life to serving the Lord, and I finished my degree, and then I had gone on to start my master's in theology, and then I started this program to become a certified rape crisis counselor. So I had become a certified rape crisis counselor, which meant that I responded to hotline calls. We had a 24-hour hotline, and then I would go on hospital accompaniment, which meant that I would, if there was a victim that came into the emergency room, I would go in, meet the victim, and do um, first response work with them as they talk with the police and everything. Six months after I was um, certified on the, on the crisis line is when I was sexually assaulted. When I got to the emergency room, they thought that I was there with a client, right? Because I had just been there like two weeks before with a client. And it was so humiliating to go through something like that because I thought I've got all this knowledge, like this isn't necessarily supposed to happen to me. I've given my life to serving the Lord. I'm in school, I've, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm bivocational. I was so po, I could hardly pay attention, but I was so committed to the cause of Christ and to the work of the church. And then this happened, confused. But let me tell you about redemption. Why are we talking about it? The Lord, not only did he heal my heart, he really healed it to the point where it turned around. I started leading groups for survivors of sexual assault inside the church because the church has failed miserably to be a resource for survivors of sexual assault. That's a whole nother sermon. So I start leading groups for survivors of sexual assault. I start developing curriculum for training pastors on how they can respond to survivors. I wrote my dissertation, my, my dissertation research. I was editing that my dissertation about sexual violence in the church on the anniversary of the day that I was sexually assaulted. You can't tell me my God is not able. When I turned that thing in, finished my doctorate, I just finished in May, and got the, I got the executive director position at the oldest rape crisis agency in the nation. Now, I didn't know when I was going through hell that the Lord was going to turn that thing all around for my good. And so this is a word for somebody because you're going through something and your heart is broken. You have no idea how God is going to fix this thing. You have no idea why this is the toll that you have to pay for the anointing that God has on your life. But I want you to know that the redemption of God is on you, that he will turn that thing around, and that in the midst of this holy confusion that you are going through, that the Lord is yet speaking, he is there, he is Emmanuel, God with you, that he will continue to be with you, covering you, and that just like on that application when you don't know the route, that GPS, that God's providential sovereignty over your life is still functioning and leading you and guiding you and sustaining you my time is up, so I'm going um, I'm, I'm to start taking my clothes at this point. But I just want to say that somebody in this house has been dealing with some confusion. You've been struggling. Your theology has been turned upside down because what you thought, how you thought God was going to move in this direction, it just hasn't happened the way that you thought it would. God has been reducing some things in people some money and resources in your life. There's been a lack of revelation in your life. You're not quite sure about the route God has you on. And even the thought of redemption seems so far-fetched that you have no idea how God is going to turn that thing around, but God will because God is faithful to perform everything that he has called for you. 
one thing I love about having a relationship with God is that there is a profound way that he meets us in our seasons of confusion. But we have to tune in. We have to stay plugged in. We have to stay in our word, even when we're frustrated, even when we have questions, even when we're angry. And the reason being is not just, I'm not even going to sit here and say, this time next week, this time next year, you're going to be out of debt, needs met, and everything's going to, you have plenty more in store. I'm not going to, that, that's not, I haven't been called to tell you that. What I have been called to tell you is that you have a God that will be with you, Emmanuel. That's what I love about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about Jesus for a while. I love the Old Testament, but let's talk about Jesus for a while. Because in the person of Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel, that means that, and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we are never alone, even in the midst of the things that we cannot see, even in the midst of needing deliverance, even in the midst of a and there's an enemy that's had us for a long time. I don't know who you are. You have, you, you have fasted and prayed. You have raised your children in the church, and they're still out on the streets. God is still with you. I don't know who you are. You have, you've done vegan. You've, done, you've gone organic. You have tried it all, and the disease still hasn't left. God is still with you. You have tried in this marriage. You have given it your all. You have, you have labored over your vows. And it just isn't going to work. You're single, believing, praying. And the man or the woman just hasn't showed up yet. Showed up yet. God is still with you. You've been praying for that baby, and you haven't conceived. God is still with you. Emmanuel. Had a friend in the Lord. She's a pastor of worship. Got all the way through the adoption, all the way to the delivery room. The mother wanted her to be in the delivery room when she gave birth to the baby that they were giving her. They took pictures. They had, they had maternity photos with the little hearts on the belly. And she changed her mind. God is still with my friend. She's confused. I'm confused. I don't get it. I don't know what God is doing. You don't know. And for somebody, it's not you that's going through something. It's somebody you love. And it's uncomfortable to watch somebody you love. And you feel inadequate in your ministry to them. Just let them know that there's a God who sees and knows that Emmanuel is yet covering the situation. You don't have to come up with every answer. That's God's work. Matter of fact, you can take this whole message and just redo it. Just, 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 you don't even have to say it, you came and heard me. Just, just tell them that, you, that it was on your heart. <laughs> that God was reducing and that there was a revelation and that he had a route for them and that God is going to redeem. You just tell them it was on your heart. You ain't even got to give me the credit. You don't know me. I'm going back to California. It's not our responsibility to have the answers. It's our responsibility to shout unto God, to believe him, and to have a resolve that he is yet with us and that everything is going to be okay. My time is up. I got to wrap it up, but I just want to encourage you today. Don't we stand all over the room? I feel really strongly that there's somebody here that this message may be for you or for someone that you love. And if that's the case, I'd love to pray for you and with you, believe God with you in this season. I know you want clarity and discernment. It hasn't showed up yet. I can't tell you when it is. I just know that you have a God who loves you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're here today and that there is an issue that you've been concerned with, you've been faithful You've been righteous. You have governed yourself with holiness. And the manifestation hasn't taken place yet. If you're here today and that is your issue and you'd like prayer, I'd like, you, I'd like to invite you to come forward and we'll believe God together. Thank God for these 
wonderful prayer counselors. Come on, sis. Come on, sis. Absolutely. I'm going to pray for and with you. And afterwards, if you sense the need for more ministry or you'd like specific prayer from one of our prayer counselors, please, please don't let this moment pass you by. There is an anointing in this house today for clarity, for wholeness, for provision in the midst of this season. You've been struggling. You've really been struggling. And, and I also know, I hear you, Holy Ghost. I also know that there's someone here that you have been struggling with missing the mark, that there is an attack, there is a, a sin pattern, and that the enemy has been trying to discourage you, that you will not gain victory over this struggle, and that that's the reason why manifestation hasn't showed up. There is grace for that in this house, too. Because Emmanuel didn't say he picked and choosed. He died for us all. He died for that thing you're struggling with. And there is provision for it in the house today. Is it you? Don't be ashamed. You don't have to worry who's sitting next to you. You don't have to worry who's looking at you. Because we've all had to struggle through some things, if we'd be really honest. We've all had to struggle through some things. And some of us are making a public declaration that we're still today, and that's okay. There is grace for that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. You are such a good, faithful God. You're kind and you love us. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We come before your presence with a heart of thanksgiving, Lord. And God, I just want to lift up my brothers and sisters who are here right now. God, I thank you because you are omniscient. You know every concern that is on their hearts. You know everything, every bit of confusion, everything that, is, that, that my sister and brother, brother are struggling with right now. And I want to pray right now, Lord, that you would touch them and that you would meet my sisters and brothers at the point of their specific needs. God, I pray that just this week that you would give somebody just a little bit more fuel, a little bit more faith to keep going on this journey. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would make those crooked things straight, that you would make those foggy eyes clear, and God, that you would give a grace, Lord, that would keep somebody keeping on in the midst of this season that they're going through. Father, I pray even for my sisters and brothers right now who are standing on behalf of a loved one, who have come with a heart of intercession. God, and even in that heart of intercession that they've sensed a, a spirit of being confused or perplexed or bamboozled and not understanding what you're doing, God, I pray that you would fill them up with an added measure of your peace, an added measure of your love, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would unlock the mysteries and, the, and, 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 and all those things that are in your word, oh God all those rich resources in your word. I pray that you would unlock them over my sisters and brother right now, that they would tuck them in their hearts, Lord, and use them for such a time as this. Touch them in only a way that you know how, Father. And we will be ever so careful to give you all the credit and all the honor for it. We bless you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you and go in peace.